Welcome back to the Reading for a Change podcast, a podcast from Moody Publishers, where we take an inside look at the books transforming our lives and shaping the world. I am your host, Drew Dick. And if my voice sounds a little scratchy today, I'm going to blame the wildfires that are raging in my uh, neck of the woods, no pun intended. Uh, I'm out in the beautiful, uh, normally beautiful uh, Pacific Northwest, and we've had just a bunch of fires. And when I open my door, you just get this like white haze of smoke hanging in the streets and you can barely see like 100 or 200 feet away. So we're trying to stay inside, but it's still kind of stinging. Anyway, that's that's a personal problem, but I thought I'd, I'd get that out of the way. Uh, hey, I'm excited about our episode today. Our guest is York Moore. He is a speaker, a revivalist, an abolitionist, an evangelist. I could go on. <laughs> He's got a lot going on, wears a lot of different hats. Um, and, and one of the things he has going on is his most recent book, which he has co-authored with Gary Chapman. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he's he's an incredibly well-known best-selling author of The Five Love Languages. And actually, the book that York and Gary have written together is based on The Five Love Languages. It's called Seen, Known, Loved, Five Truths About God and Your Love Language. York, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Drew. And I apologize for your suffering, but your smoke <laughs> from your part of the country has made for spectacular sunsets here in Michigan. Well, there you go. There's a silver lining and you don't have to breathe in the nasty smoke, but you get the visual display. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're actually going to take off to the coast here for a day uh, just to kind of get some fresh air. My kids are going crazy Mm. being cooped up inside. And so uh, we're we're lucky that we can do that, but uh, it'll be a nice, it'll be nice to get some fresh air. Hey, first question I had for you, because, you, you know, we haven't met in person. We will sometime, I'm sure. And I'd love that. But we haven't met. What I've heard, though, about you is you are a guy that's got a lot of energy. And you can see that just from reading your bio and reading your writing. Um, You're the kind of guy that's in front of a lot of people all the time. You're this ball of energy. I'm just wondering, it can't be easy for you right now with the pandemic, things closed, people social distancing. (laughs) What's your life like right now? Yeah, well, I went from 100 miles an hour, two flights a week, every week for months and months to zero. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I'm in my early 50s. And had this happened in my, say, late 30s, early 40s, it would have been an identity crisis. But here's the thing, Mm. Drew. You know, when, when we get to a place where we're firmly secure in who we are in the Lord, and the most important thing about us is that we love Jesus, it really doesn't matter what's happening in the world. And so to tell you the truth, uh, this has been probably the best year of my life, maybe mm. outside of maybe one year of my childhood. I also made the decision because I can't travel. And even if I could, there are no audiences to speak to. There are no events to be at. There are no gatherings to oversee. I, I decided to actually take a four-month sabbatical. And I'm actually just beginning the last month of that four-month sabbatical. So you know, oh, wow. I'm loving life. I'm loving yeah. the Lord, re- reading the word. I'm, we actually just bought a, a 10 acre farm about uh, two weeks before uh, the lockdown happened here in Michigan. And I, I went from a city guy to a suburban guy. Now I'm a rural guy, literally <laughs> walking my goats in the evening, feeding my chickens in the morning. I'm loving life, Drew. 
That is awesome. That sounds so idyllic. It sounds downright biblical. You're walking goats around, or maybe with sheep. <laughs> that's that's awesome. But it sounds like you're in a great place, and yeah. and that's rare because you know I I actually I was talking to a uh, church leader. I won't say who it is. Um, recently and and he kind of confessed that he was having a hard time because he's this kind of guy that's just on the go constantly in front of large audiences and just cruising and then all of a sudden it's grinding to a halt and he's like i can't take it um, yeah. and so i think that's really healthy uh, like you said that you've come to this place in your life maybe because yeah you're not you're not that 30 year old anymore yep. uh but but being able to slow down and have that be good with your soul um yeah. okay so to the book it's a great book. I, I love, I'm looking at it right now. The cover's amazing. You got to see it. Uh, uh, Google it if, if you're curious, seen, known, loved. Uh, and it's just a tiny little book, but it's powerful. Uh, and like I said, it's based on the five love languages, but rather than, you know, you're going to set it up better than me. So I'm wondering if you can just explain to listeners the basic idea behind this book. When Dr. Chapman's team uh, approached me about a year and a half ago, they said, you know, uh, Dr. Chapman really cares deeply about lost people. Uh, he's always wanted to write an evangelistic book, uh, but really would love to partner with an evangelist. And I said, well, let me think about that for 10 seconds. And of course, I said yes. And uh, <laughs> what we decided to do at the beginning of the process was to aim for writing a book that would be simple, accessible, short. As you can see, it's a very short book. I call it a, a flyby book. You can read it from uh, you know a trip to New York to Miami, uh, one little quick read. But what we're hoping it will be is kind of like a, a more than a carpenter for an emotionally sophisticated and curious generation. So if you remember that Josh yeah. McDowell, very famous book, impacted millions of people all over the world. It, it was answering questions for a generation that was obsessed with the intellectual viability of the Christian faith, evidence and mm -hmm. those kinds of things. It was a, a smaller version of his more uh, evidence that demands a verdict. People really aren't asking those kinds of questions anymore by and large, but they are mm -hmm. very in tune with who they are, who they want to be. They're obsessed with taking personality tests and assessments. And so what right. we've done is we've written an evangelistic book that will help people really connect with God through their emotions. And what better tool than the five love languages to help us do that? Yes, no, exactly. And what better time to have this in people's hands because... I mean, obviously, we always need love, right? But in a time when people are just freaked out, uh, scared, uncertain about the future, uh, they need that security uh, of of knowing and feeling and experiencing God's love more than ever. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of the song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to well, try to right. sing it, <laughs> but it's true, right? I mean, especially <laughs> right now. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. Uh, I want – I was – interested to see that you went there a little bit about social media, because I think, especially right now when people are, you know, at home, not going into work as much, not hanging out with friends and family, then we become reliant upon social media for that human connection, for that mm. love. Um, and yet it doesn't really scratch the itch. It feels like I was talking to my wife, Grace, actually last night uh, about social media. And she told me, I don't know if she's going to follow through with this, but she just said, I think I'm going to delete all my social media. You know, get rid of my Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. She's like, I just feel like I'm going there all the time because I'm bored or lonely and it just doesn't satisfy ultimately, mm. but you always think mm. it will. Anyway, so yeah. I just, yeah. Can you explain how you see social media uh, relating to this issue of needing to be loved? 
Yeah, well, you know, we did extensive field testing with this book with uh, quite a number of non-Christian readers before we went to publication. And that section of the book, particularly with millennials and with Gen Z readers, really scratched an itch. It really named some things that they were struggling with. And I think you've already said it, that in some ways over the years, we've allowed our social media engagement to replace in-person relationships. You think about young people. I have uh, one son in college at the greatest university in America, the University of Michigan, go blue. I have another uh, 18-year-old who actually just moved uh, from Michigan to Huntington Beach for a year of missions and a 10-year-old. Now, my three kids, I've trained them to have in-person interactions, to go to the checkout counter and talk to the checkout person, to go to the bank teller and have a human interaction. But I want to tell you, Drew, that's rare. I mean, our, gen, mm-hmm. our, our the world that we're living in, we would much rather have a, a filtered experience with other human beings using digital oh, media. Yeah. Now, having yeah. said that, I want to just be clear that the online world, the digital world, it isn't some kind of pseudo world. It isn't some kind of make-believe distraction from the real world. Our online lives are just as real as our in-person lives, but they will never, ever substitute for what it means to actually have in-person human interaction. Yeah, I think that's well said. You're right, because I see people kind of going to one extreme or the other. It's like, oh, it's all terrible and we just need to get rid of it or, you know, saying, yeah, it's just it's just as good as inter, you know, uh, interpersonal face to face interactions. Uh, And that's that's certainly not the case. I think I think you nailed it. Okay, so my love language is going to get a little vulnerable, a little awkward, but my (laughs) love language language is words of affirmation. It's kind of embarrassing to admit it makes you look like a needy freak. (laughs) <laughs> but well, you're, when, you're doing a great drew a, a great job drew <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean yeah when when my wife you know says something nice to me which she does all the time uh i just light up like a christmas tree i love it um yep, you know you yep. give me a gift i'm gonna take it that's great okay you do something for me i'm appreciative but yeah words of affirmation so how um do i you know keeping in mind that love language uh, how do I experience affirmation from God? Because I'm going to be honest too. He doesn't seem that chatty, right? I mean, he's not speaking to me audibly. How yeah. do I get that from God when that's my love language? Right. Well, I, I have a theory and it's based on 25 years of sharing the good news with people all over the world. Uh, and that is that our love languages actually correspond to our core driving ambitions. And so I call them heart hopes. And so the way the book is laid out is I take Gary's uh, five love languages and I ask, what's the heart hope or the driving ambition of every single one of these personas? Like you, my love language is words of affirmation. And I think by and large, most of us who have that as our love language, the cry of our heart, the driving ambition, what I call this heart hope, is that we want to be seen. We want hmm. people to see us. And our, our greatest fear is to be invisible, to be forgotten. And we can go through the list of the, the love languages, and you can see there's kind of these corresponding drives or ambitions. Take a person whose love language is gifts. Like you, I'll take a gift, but it doesn't really resonate. It doesn't you know, uh, connect with my, my heart. But a person who's giving and receiving a love through, through gifts, it's not really about the gift, is it? It's about the thoughtfulness, the consideration. Right. And what that actually communicates to the, the, the person whose love language is gifts is that they have worth. And that's what she's longing for, to have a sense of worth. And she receives that through giving and, and receiving gifts. Every single love language has, I think, a corresponding driving ambition. 
That's really interesting. I think you're absolutely right. Um, wow, that's really that's that's really cool. So I think we need to get together and just kind of verbally affirm each other and just have a mutual admiration <laughs> party. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so in the chapter about people whose love language, I'm not going to go through all of them, but for the people whose love language is physical touch, that seems like another challenging one when it comes to God. And you you talk about being hugged by God, which sounds kind of weird, sounds a little yeah. woo woo. Can yeah. you explain <laughs> what that means? Yeah. Well, you know, oftentimes when people have their first come to Jesus experience and their love language is physical touch, you know, they'll have an experience of weeping, of shaking, as they have the sense of the presence of God in a unique and powerful way. But I think regardless of a person's faith journey, whether they found Jesus or not, we have these moments, don't we, where God just kind of invades our space-time continuum, you know, not to sound too Trekian, but, you know, we'll be driving along the way. And I'll never forget, I, I was a, when I became a Christian, I was the first Christian in my family. Uh, I was raised as an atheist. We had a sign in the front of our home that said, the Moors, the atheists. We had a, a barrel on the side of our house for burning Bibles. So we were, we were deep-seated oh, atheists. Yeah. And when I went to uh, the greatest university in America, the University of Michigan, my nickname- I think you mentioned that already. I, I, think I have. <laughs> I, I, I get $500 per announcement. I'm sponsoring. I, right now. <laughs> I love the school spirit. <laughs> but when I went to Michigan, uh, my nickname in my fraternity was Satan because I persecuted Christians and wrote papers against wow. Christians. I was an honor student in the philosophy and psychology departments. And then I became one, which is a whole nother story about how that happened. But after I became a Christian, I remember experiencing deep sorrow, despair, depression over the realization that my family was lost over the realization that uh, they were little by little rejecting me. I mean, they couldn't understand my faith. And I'll never forget driving to the university one morning, and I had made this drive countless times before. But this particular morning, the sun rose exactly where it had risen the day before. But at that moment, the Spirit of God took that experience, a very common experience of the sunset. And, you know, we have these experiences all around us. And he impressed upon me the nearness of God. And I think that's exactly how we experience that physical touch from God. It's even greater than a hug from a, a loved one. It's a presence, a power, uh, a, a sense of companionship, of togethering through the common experiences that we have because the Holy Spirit illumines that experience and makes it hyper-personal for us. Hmm, that's beautiful. And, and you're so right. I think sometimes when we think about evangelism, we think of you know getting all the philosophical proofs for God's existence down and answering yeah. objections and all that's important, obviously, but there is that, that sort of, um, lived experience where, where God, by the power of his spirit breaks through to someone, uh, yeah. and they have that overwhelming sense of love. Uh, and sometimes it's through nature, like you said. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's a great explanation. Um, the story of the prodigal son is just one of the most awesome stories, uh, exemplifying, illustrating the love of God. How does it relate to the gifts that we, we talk about when we talk about the love languages? Well, even secular, um, you know, academic uh, professionals will take a look at that uh, Luke 15 passage, the prodigal son, and they'll tell you it's a perfect story. Mm. And I've, I've preached and taught this particular passage now to 
tens of thousands of people over the last several decades. There's so much in this story. But the element of gifts, when we think about, you know, we oftentimes miss the, the older son. The older son is the only one that the father goes and seeks, which is a whole other sermon in and of oh, itself. Yeah. But when the younger son actually returns, he comes to his senses. He realizes that the hired men who are farmhands on his dad's property are living better lives. And he said, you know, with hat in hand, he goes back and with full and right expectation, he expects to be employed as a, a stable boy. And instead, he gets this falling, rushing kiss at the embarrassment of his own father. His father calls for the fattened calf. And then he does something very interesting. He establishes him through the giving of specific gifts that were symbolic, right? He gives him the robe that would have differentiated himself from the, the rest of the hired hands. He gives him the signet ring, which would have been the American Express Visa MasterCard in our day and age, that signet ring, which would have gave him financial authority. These gifts are all about him belonging to the father, belonging to the family. He's receiving him. And what a powerful, powerful story. So much more than a metaphor, because this is exactly what we experience when we turn our hearts toward God. When we come to our senses, even thinking that, well, at the bare minimum, uh, I'll be a hired hand, you know, uh, but God comes with this this uh, uh, almost incomprehensible grace, and he establishes us as his daughters, as his sons. I mean, it's a beautiful story. One of the things that it also demonstrates, you know, I've made this this claim that we have these heart hopes, these great ambitions, that the giving and the receiving of gifts, you know, it, it demonstrates our worth. But the father, as he embraces the son, physically demonstrates that the son belongs. And yes. people whose love language is physical touch, that's what they so long to believe in their heart, that they belong to someone. They belong to, to some somebody, you know, and that's what we see in this passage. So beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. And no matter what you've done, right? Uh, the father scanning the horizon for you and rushing towards you. That's powerful. You know, it's wild. Yeah. I never caught that, the symbolism of the ring of the gifts that the father yeah. gives the son. <laughs> That's mm. brand new to me. I went to oh. seminary. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm a little slow, but my goodness. No, that, I, it only dude. took me 20 years of studying the same passage. So <laughs> Okay, well, then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> okay, well, last question about the book. Um, how does participating in worship help us to feel God? Well, just like you and I, we share this love language, words of affirmation. God is fluent in all of these love languages, and he gives and receives love in each of these ways. And one of the most powerful ways we can express our love to God, God doesn't want to just merely know that we love him. He wants to experience our love back to him. And part of the way we do that is worship. You know, when we begin to open our mouths and sing his praises, when we begin to uh, pronounce his excellency, to pronounce his glory, when we begin to say the things about him that he already knows are true, but he hears it from our own lips, he receives love. Now, it's, you know, it, it kind of messes with our theology, doesn't it? Because it, it almost paints God as a God of need. God doesn't need our affirmation. He doesn't need our love. But he's created a world in which he desires to enter into relationships with real people. And part of the way that we express our love to him is through is through those words of affirmation expressed through worship. You know, the other thing that I'll say about it is so oftentimes, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not in a place of worship. I don't feel mm -hmm. close to the Lord. Uh, maybe I'm struggling with sin. Maybe I'm struggling with doubt. Maybe it's a hard time. And uh, I've made a decision as a word of affirmation kind of guy. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other until I feel it. 
And so what mm-hmm. I mean by that is very frequently I will begin to hum the tune. I'll begin to mouth the words. I'll begin to say a few things that I know are true about God. And wouldn't you know, within a few minutes, the Holy Spirit rushes in and reignites my heart and reacquaints me with the nearness of the Father. And I can begin to experience this togethering, which is what Christianity is all about. That's so true, right? And how sometimes you need obedience to proceed to precede the feelings that you get because the feelings aren't always there, right? Yeah, it's yeah like, that's right. Especially when you're in a hard season or you're doubting or whatever the case is. Yeah. This is great. Listeners, if you've been enjoying this conversation, if you're intrigued, if this has piqued your curiosity, I want to encourage you to check out York's latest book, again, that he co-authored with Gary Chapman. The title, again, is Seen, Known, Loved, Five Truths About God and your love language. It's just a beautiful reminder of these essential truths about how much God loves you and how he longs to make that clear to you. Uh, so buy it for yourself, or if you have, this is a great book too for even non-believers. It's, it's not the kind of book that's going to freak them out uh, with a bunch of Christianese. Um, they're going to get it. So if you have a friend or family member who you think could benefit from this, grab a copy for them. It's 20% off right now at moodypublishers.com. So check it out. Seen, known, love, five truths about God and your love language. Well, York, the final segment that we have that we've been doing this season of the podcast is called The Writing Life. Uh, And the question I have for you, well, I'll set it up a little bit. You're a speaker. Uh, You're out there, like you talked about, speaking to a ton of people. I'm curious about how you feel, uh, view the difference uh, between speaking and writing. You know that they're two very different animals. Uh, so I'm just curious, which do you enjoy more? Uh, how does one inform the other? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I know a lot of authors and writers and aspiring writers, and and they love the writing process. They love the writing product. I'm more of a speaker with a laptop, and it really is a painstaking process to uh, to write a book. Um, and what I've discovered is that uh, the relationship between speaking and writing uh, needs to be more natural. And so uh, this is my fourth book. I'm working on a proposal for my fifth. And in the early days, I thought, I got to write a book. And so I start with this idea of, I got to write a book. And now instead of that, I'm preaching. Typically, I spend about 32 hours on each message. It doesn't matter if it's a 15-minute message or a 45-minute wow. message. About 32, yep, <laughs> about 32 hours. Yep, about 32 hours. And um, after that, I'm, I'm starting to see contours of concepts that could be uh, helpful to a larger audience. And so for me, as a primarily as a communicator, I look to my communication gifts to give rise to um, larger concepts that have value to the reading community and then develop those. But the actual process of writing, oh, it's just absolutely painstaking. I can't stand it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that's pretty common though, even for the people that are more writers than speakers, because you know what, What's the expression? I love. I love having written. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's exactly right. And I find that fascinating because speaking, and this is a gift for you know a, an author who's also a speaker, because you you get to field test your ideas yeah. on people and get that that um, reaction from them in real time. Uh, and That's so, right. yeah, I, talk about that a little bit. Like, do do you kind of find that certain talks and sermons that you give resonate, and then is that like a clue that maybe that there's a book there? 
Yeah, for sure. And, and in fact, going back to Seen, Known, Loved, which again, you've mentioned is an evangelistic book. We're hoping people will buy three, five, ten copies and share it with their, their non-Christian friends. But typically when I write, I, I'm as a philosopher first, I develop very, very intellectual concepts behind what end up being very common books. And um, no one sees these concepts. Typically, I write them for myself. Uh, I field test them by sprinkling them into messages. And, and that's exactly what I did here. So going down the list, right? So if you're a word of affirmation person, my belief is that your heart hope is that you want to be seen. Physical touch, you want to belong. Receiving of gifts, you want to have a sense of worth. Quality time, you want to be known deeply. Acts of service, you want to know that you matter, that you're leaving a legacy. And as I began to field test for the See No Loved book, I began to seed many of my messages with this relationship between the five love languages. And the response in audiences was absolutely electric. Like I would mm. be in the middle of a message and the slide would come up demonstrating the relationship and people would walk to the front of the auditorium to take pictures of the screen. Well, that's not normal. Like right. that doesn't <laughs> usually happen. And so when things like that happen, uh, you know, it's usually a good indication that you're scratching an itch. You're helping people connect the dots between who they are, who they were meant to be, and how God figures into that equation. Yes, yes, and I can I can tell you that it worked. Uh, this is a great book, and I just I look forward to seeing the the results it's going to have, especially for people that are not believers uh, mm -hmm. that that read this book. And that's a rare skill I find with uh, Christian authors. Uh, it's tough sometimes to kind of. Uh, change your language and speak in terms that that someone who hasn't grown up in the church that may not have a lot of biblical knowledge can understand and benefit from. Uh, so yeah. thank you for writing it. It is a beautiful reminder of these essential truths about how much God loves us and desires to be in relationship with us. Listeners, again, if you've enjoyed this conversation, I want to encourage you to check out the book, Seen, Known, Loved, Five Truths About God and Your Love Language by York Moore and Gary Chapman. Although well, I, I, on the cover, it's the opposite. I'm sorry, York. I hope that's not offensive. <laughs> that's all right. It's, <laughs> it's Gary Chapman and York Moore. That's right. Um, on, uh, on Amazon, yeah. it says Gary Chapman and other. So, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, as a words of affirmation guy, that's got to make you feel special when you're uh, under other. <laughs> Good for the ego. Um, and I also want to encourage uh, uh folks listening to this, uh, if you've enjoyed the conversation, uh, please leave us a review or a rating on Apple or Google Podcasts. Speaking of words of affirmation, those just make me feel good. Not that it's all about me, <laughs> but when I go on 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 my app, I've got the Apple uh, app and, and see that someone uh, left a little review for us. That just warms my heart. Uh, someone wrote recently that it's like coffee with an author. And I thought that's awesome. That's what we're trying to go for. So do that. It helps us. It helps other people find the podcast. It helps us out a ton. Thank you, York. Thank you listeners uh, for uh, tuning into this again. And until next time, keep reading. <laughs>